right, we'll get started. Thanks for being here. Thanks I'm looking for forward us. to this conversation. It's one of the uh, the shows that I've been really excited about, so I appreciate both of you and your time. Uh, thanks for having um, us, Josh. Ryan Street, who's a top-performing realtor in San Diego. Um, but also, I think, more impressive than that, as impressive as your professional work in the real estate space is um, the service you gave to the country and to all of us. Um, I know we're going to talk a lot about that, um, but I really appreciate you being here. And we've become friends over the years. And one of the things I really appreciate about you is you're a straight shooter. Um, people know where they stand with you, but that you also give different perspectives some grace. I, I've been there when, you know, given your past and your your history and experience and your uh, service to the country. And, you know, I know you're very um, committed to that and emotional about that. And some other people may have differing points of view and you're very good at restraining yourself in situations where, you know, I, I know it's it's very near and dear to your heart, um, but you hear people out and you're very straightforward. But um, I appreciate that about you. Oh, I, I appreciate it very much, Josh. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It does take some restraint at times, but uh, whether I like it or not, I'm, I'm a public figure and um, restraint is not my middle name, but right. I do uh, try to do a little better every day. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I appreciate the sentiment and my, um, more than more than happy to, to serve the country on behalf of uh, any American that uh, uh, that's here. Yeah, so. right on. And Kelly Anderson, who's a clinical psychologist, I guess I should say Dr. Anderson, because you earned it. <laughs> Kelly, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you being here as well. And, and we just met today, but um, I mean, I've, I've read a number of things about you and you certainly have uh, a ton of experience and knowledge in this space. And we're going to talk a lot yeah. about PTSD. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm really interested to learn about is, you know, in my little narrow view of this issue is, you know, linked to military and combat mm -hmm. experience. But yeah. in doing a little bit of research, you know, I learned a ton about like just how PTSD can manifest itself in people due to a ton of different experiences. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's really not limited to that. And also, you know, kind of taking a step back, you know, the ethos of this podcast is that it started because we had someone here at Lawyers um, who committed suicide right. and he had clearly had mental health issues. So mm -hmm. our kind of, you know, purpose was around mental health and it expanded from there. Yeah. But it once again has shined the light on the fact that like there's so many issues out there, you know, connected to mental health or experiences mm -hmm. that, you know, have transformed into PTSD, yeah. but it, it, but nobody talks about it. Right. Right. So right. in mental health in that space, it's mm -hmm. kind of like this when someone has cancer, you know, everyone yeah. talks, about, oh, my God, how's it going? And all these things. Mm -hmm. Or if you have a an injury, how's it going? And but mental right. illness is like, Shh. yep, you know, don't say anything about it. So yeah. um, I'm interested to hear about specifically PTSD, but how yep. it's linked to all these different um, causes and, yeah. and experiences. Yeah, I'm definitely happy to talk about that and shed a little light on what that might look like, both with you know, veterans and the veteran population as well as civilians and the various types of traumas that can kind of lead to this stuff. Yeah. yeah. With the people that you treat mm -hmm. or, you know, that you work with, yeah. um, just out of curiosity, what percentage of those people would you say, I mean, we're a military town, so mm -hmm. I would imagine that is going to skew the national numbers or however yeah. you want to look at that, yeah. but what percentage of the people that you work with um, are veterans? 
for my probably with the the practice as a whole between myself and my other clinicians i would say it's like 50 to 55 percent yeah so it's it's high um and a piece of that too is that i'm va trained and so i i'm trained in a lot of the trauma focused treatments myself as well as my counterparts um but yeah we have a huge prevalence of of both active duty and veteran um, individuals here and their family members who go through a lot of this stuff and face a lot of trauma themselves. So it's it's pretty high, and I think that that's probably representative kind of across most of, of the county, I would say. Right. Yeah. What is that, that when you talked about the VA training, mm-hmm. or, or like talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, through um, even starting back in, in grad school and then internship and postdoc, I worked in VAs across the country, actually. Um, so working with primarily veterans, sometimes families, um, but a huge percentage of people who are coming back from OEF, OIF conflicts, you know, you can talk more about that later on, as you kind of mentioned, um, who, yes, oftentimes we're looking at PTSDs as well as TBI, traumatic brain injury, lots of different things that are going on, reintegration, that kind of stuff. Um, So I was trained really with uh, working with veterans and um, have some specialty in trauma-focused treatments specifically. So I'm certified in a couple of treatments to kind of help people move through that. And then these treatments are also used with civilian populations. So you can use them whether they were combat trauma, military sexual trauma, or I got in an accident while I was active duty, but it had nothing to do with, with my service. Um, so Got there's it. lots of way that that trauma can show up, um, and then these treatments are really designed to help people kind of process that and get through. And um, we don't have uh, as many suicides as we see, which are connected with trauma or trauma-related um, disorders. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's huge that you have that you've built up that experience or knowledge base with veterans yeah. and and been able to experience in a different different locations, but different mm-hmm. patients and things yeah. like that because. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've always wondered is if you haven't, if you don't have that experience or knowledge or you haven't actually been in combat or you mm-hmm. don't, you know, it'd be tough to relate. Yeah. Because we yeah. had a we had a, a show that we did on transitioning from active duty into civilian life yeah. um, from the military. And I think that was one of the things that was a struggle mm-hmm. for a lot, of, a lot of people that were transitioning was that, you know, the, the programs that were being provided either by the military or the government mm-hmm. or whatever it was weren't necessarily being run by people who had like kind of walked right. in the shoes mm-hmm. all the time yep. and so for a lot of veterans it was like well you don't really know mm-hmm. you know you, you haven't like walked a mile in my shoes so right. to say right so I think it's huge that you have that experience yeah. and of course you didn't have it from the jump but now that you've yep. built it up over time it gives you that yeah. credibility yeah I guys. think a different perspective well I would never ever say I could fully understand what it would be like to go through anything like combat or any other trauma that I haven't, a car accident, things like that. Certainly having uh, worked with a number of people who have, I think it's it's a very different perspective than when I was fresh and new and hadn't heard my first combat related story, right. didn't understand any of the acronyms, for example, that kind of stuff. So it does help and I think it, it can help to build that credibility. And I think one of the things that's really interesting and, and I'm interested to hear your perspective as someone who served um, is just reminding my clients whether they're a veteran or not. I might not know what you went through, I just have the knowledge of how to best treat that and you have the knowledge of what you've gone through and we put that together to kind of make the best steps we can forward and yeah it tends to work better than it doesn't (laughs) most of the time um but it's yeah it's it's um it's a tough it's a tough diagnosis ptsd itself or working with people who've been through trauma 
takes a lot of strength as a client to kind of approach that and want to deal with it. So it's effective treatment when you're able to do it, um, but hard hard work for everyone, I think. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. What, what about you, Ryan? Like, why don't you tell a little bit for the people that are listening or watching about your own experience and kind of transitioning through and, and dealing with some of the issues that have prolonged with you? I mean, you've been extremely successful about navigating through that, and so I, I think your experience would set in with a lot of people, and I think it'd be very valuable for them to know and understand. Um, Josh, I'm not sure I would categorize my transition as highly successful. Um, I would categorize it as I'm very good at hiding certain things. Um, and I would, going back to your statement about transitioning out of the military, I would say it's closer to 100% of veterans that struggle with the transition from the military uh, back into civilian life and I think it, it's just kind of a sliding scale. It, it varies somewhat based on how long their, their service was, if it was a single term or if it was a full career or anywhere in between. Um, from my experience, the hardest part of the transition was going from having such a dynamic schedule. And we have dynamic schedules in real estate. That's the reality of sure. things if you're selling 30, 40 homes a year plus. Um, but it's not quite as time... Um, that's the right word. Um, the time constraints between meetings are all, I mean, you're boom, boom, you're, you're always got somewhere to be, and then all of a sudden that stops in a day. And it's, I think it's a combination of not knowing what to do with yourself because you're so conditioned and being busy all the time, and then also couple that with um, maybe, the visceral or the uh, ego portion of being needed somewhere yeah. or contributing to something right. uh, greater than yourself and that's that was kind of, that was a slogan that was used all the time you know you're you're participating in something greater than yourself and at the time it doesn't really register it doesn't resonate with at least it didn't with me I was just doing my job um, but once it goes away it's very real and um, it's a it's kind of a downer you know, and I think that contributes to uh, difficulty in transition. Um, you know, I uh, I struggled with that for probably three years. Yeah. Um, just you know, busy, busy, busy. I'm fine. I'm, if I'm running high, I'm fine. If I'm not, things start to creep in. Memories. Um, you know, hypervigilance is something I deal with all the time. Um, I can't sit in a restaurant or I avoid crowds at all, at, at, at any possibility I will. Um, I might, you know, my, when my family wants to go to the fair or Legoland or Disney, I'm in my own personal hell for four, six, seven right. hours, whatever it is. Is that like a, is that like because, you know, you, you can't survey it and you don't like, you don't know who to trust. It's like exhausting it, because you're constantly, and it's, it's involuntary. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're at least for me, and it's subsided some, I'd right. say in the last two years because it, it's exhausting. Um, you're constantly searching for the threat, whether there is one or not, right? Um, right. You know, who can handle themselves? Who can't? What are the weapons of opportunity? Should X, Y, or Z go down? How is this scenario going to play out? And your your mind is constantly going. You cannot turn it off. Right. Right. And entree, the substance abuse mm-hmm. piece that goes with it, that's the only way that I can, that I have found where, you know, not that I abuse substances, but 
that's to slow down right. the thoughts, the ra- the mind racing, because it's going all the time. I, I tell folks um, privately um, that you know, I, I metaphorically, I consider my brain like my brain is a wood chipper, right? Metaphorically, if I don't feed it something to think about, it's going to cavitate, right? And nothing good is going to happen, right? If I'm not constantly thinking of something, could be a defense mechanism. I don't know. It's just what I do. Um, you know, my experience in the military, I was in the air wing, uh, specifically, yeah, Hueys and Cobras with the Marine Corps. Um, I was in I, I was in Afghanistan first, right after September 11th, um, with uh, Operation Anaconda, Task Force 58, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and we had some we had some experiences there. Uh, obviously, I can't pinpoint where and exactly sure, when. I think sure. it's a culmination of experiences. But um, my first perceived combat experience was uh, I think it was December 7th 2001 we were we were being probed uh, by the Taliban and um, we were you know mortars were going right we were we were shooting mortars um, a lot you know flares were going up we were inside of a compound um, but I, I do recall um, you know, we had been there for a week or ten days, not knowing what's going to happen. The not knowing is is difficult. Eventually, you just kind of let go, because if it's your time, it's your time. Because it's debilitating to constantly think about what if, what if, what if, and you just kind of let go. Right. Um, but that night specifically, I remember, um, you know, our uh, the gunnery sergeant that was in charge of us, uh, Gunnery Sergeant Rooks. Um, you know, he had us go what's called condition one on our weapons which is locked, loaded, ready to fire, like you're ready to go. And I remember right after that, um, just hearing two or 300 Marines, there were Navy SEALs out there, there were Australian SAS, um, all those chambers, lock and load, uh, was almost like a symphony, right? Right. Things started going into slow motion. Uh, I could see much better than I could previously. I couldn't hear anything. Nothing. I couldn't hear anything. It was the strangest sensation. My, I couldn't feel anything with my hands, but I knew um, I could function in whatever capacity right. I would need to as things unfolded. Uh, fortunately, that evening, they never got through. They were just seeing where we were at kind of thing, but um, that was rugged. Yeah. That was, uh, uh, I'll never forget that. Right. You know? it, it, thank you for sharing that, first sure. of all, because, I mean, I mean, I, like I've said before, I mean, I'm so grateful for, for your service, but like just even being willing to kind of go back in time and go through that for us is, is amazing. So I appreciate that. It's interesting that, you know, cause again, in my narrow view, like I would think like PTSD, like you'd have to be a part of like something, you know, like something far more, I mean, like, um, I don't know, like poignant or traumatic or, oh, hey, someone got shot or this blew up or something like that. But just that, well, I guess stress is in the acronym PTSD, right? Like Mm -hmm. that situation, if you do it day in and day out or the not knowing or whatever that is, is the culmination of that stress. Can that create it or is it always like a a poignant moment? Yeah, both. Both. Right. So some people are able to say this is the exact moment that I know this this all started right Mm -hmm. after this day. 
uh, everything changed for me. And then in situations like you were in where the, it's this day in, day out, right? It's that chronic stress. Am I dying today? Am I living today? What's going to happen? And that in and of itself is, is traumatic to think about, you know, I'm hearing mortar fire. And mm. is that headed in my direction? Is this it, right? So you can imagine how that starts to culminate in the sense of, of lack of safety anywhere, which shows up at Legoland mm. <laughs> and surveying a threat because you've had to be on this high alert for weeks, months, years, in some cases, depending on the length of, of deployment. Um, and it starts, yeah, so it starts to culminate and, and you can't disentangle which moment it started with. And then, of course, in other situations, there's something incredibly specific that yep. people can pinpoint. Like car accidents. Car accidents, yeah. Things like yep, that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An assault, something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Yeah, so it varies a bit based on who you are and what you've been through. Um, but, yeah, it is stress is in the name for a well, reason. I mean, it makes sense, like, just that, like, preparation or mm-hmm. perception of danger, right, yeah, would yeah. be enough. Because, I mean, if you think about it, like, I can only imagine, like, if my wife was home, alone and mm-hmm. she heard someone wrestling in the kitchen or something mm-hmm. and knew I wasn't home but yep. then came down and there was nothing mm-hmm. that she would probably be unable to sleep mm-hmm. for days on end thinking sure. like was someone in my house right when nothing really happened I mean mm-hmm. I, something happened but it wasn't you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I mean it it makes sense mm. yeah it's interesting to me that you said how you said everything numbed out and because I've in researching this and just, you know, watching some stuff and reading some stuff, a number of people say that, you know, the term kind of adrenaline yeah, junkie or definitely whatever, an adrenaline dump. You thing. know, mm-hmm. like it, it just it, it's a it's a negative experience, but like it it you get those feelings in your body that are like you're almost unable to control the chemical mm-hmm. reactions Absolutely. within yourself that are happening. But you're so well trained and it's so muscle memory and it's yeah. like You've done it a thousand times mm-hmm. practicing and whatever you do that, like you said, it's like like the symphony mm-hmm. and everyone's like ready to roll. And even though you can't feel it, mm-hmm. you know, your sensations are almost out of control. Like mm-hmm. you knew the whole time you were absolutely in control of like what you would have had to have done if you had to. Right. Mm-hmm. That's intense. Yeah. And I think that contributes that the adrenaline dump when you are in a combat situation or whether it's... Um, you know, when we first started coming back, not so much early 2001, because we were there, you know, that was the kickoff of everything. Uh, and then I think 10 months later after we got back, we were in Iraq. Um, and then, you know, and that was a very large presence um, scattered throughout Kuwait and whatnot. Um, but the rotation, seven months there, seven months off, seven months there, seven months, some guys and gals did seven or eight deployments in 10 mm-hmm. years. Um, and once you have, and it doesn't have to be that long a service, but I think with the high risk behavior that a lot of um, service members came back, specifically motorcycles, guys mm-hmm. and gals were coming home and killing themselves on motorcycles <coughs> because they hit that new red line mm-hmm. in, in country, in combat, mm-hmm. right? They hit that adrenaline thing and like anything in life, once you, once you have a new peak, you're going to try to get there again. Yeah. And everything you did in the past to get there isn't going to get you there anymore. Right. That yeah. makes sense. It's almost like an addiction. Yeah. And if you're unable to find that new peak, mm-hmm. then people start alcohol, doing alcohol, skydiving, right? Like, you exact know, base motorcycles, jumping, yeah, all that, all, all that, that stuff. stuff right. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, rarely ends well. Yeah. Right. You know, 
And I think that that chasing the adrenaline also really helps kind of the core piece when we're thinking about this from a clinical perspective is to undermine avoidance. That's what PTSD is, avoiding the trauma, thinking about, feeling about it. And adrenaline feels a lot better than fear. Adrenaline feels a lot better than nothing at all on those days that you can't feel anything because if you have to feel the the good stuff, you have to feel the bad stuff. And it's a lot a lot more fun to jump from a plane and sure. you've already faced death once. So right. <laughs> what, right. right? And so that can feel really good or sort of a sense of relief um, along with the drugs and alcohol it can either numb things out or make you feel better, which um, when you're dealing with something like chronic PTSD, every day you're dealing with this. Every right. day you kind of mention, you know, I, my transition didn't go well, I just hit it really well. Mm-hmm. And this is how a lot of people with PTSD would describe their day in and day out. You don't know what's going on inside, but every day you wake up exhausted because you've already dealt with this the day before and the day before that. Right. So yeah, it's it's that new red line and you're chasing that sort of dragon, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's also this, this avoidance of anything that might feel bad because it's just so exhausting. Yeah. So when you're diagnosing mm-hmm. people, yeah. Um, so PTSD is, are there physical, chemical, physiological things yeah. that you can measure, whether it's like cortisone release or whatever, those types of things where you can yeah. say, oh, wow, these are certain, um, I don't know, symptoms yeah. that you would see from, so other than someone coming in and saying, hey, wow, I, like, you know, you mentioned car accident, hey, mm-hmm. I was in a head-on collision. And right whatever and saw all this yeah. and felt all that and you're like well this is maybe this because mm-hmm. it's a traumatic event yeah. but how do you how do you diagnose someone yeah. outside of the obvious yeah well so to answer your first question there are physiological markers and even neurological markers of, of PTSD I can share this much about that because it's outside my my scope sure. um, but you can look at someone's brain prior to trauma and post trauma and neurologists can see differences in parts of brain structures that are overactive or underactive structures that have shrunk and then you can take measures of things like cortisol things like that yeah. That's not what I do. Um, And so I do go to the more kind of, there are three areas that we look in and sort of assess. And we can do that um, through interviews or through measures. We can do formal neuropsych testing, diagnostic testing, um, where you look at areas such as behavior. um, So behavioral avoidance, cognitive avoidance, and then physical physiological kind of reactivity. You mentioned visceral at one point, and that's kind of what I'm talking about there. So cognitive avoidance would be not thinking about what was going on. What's an example that you might use to not think about? Any like, of the in, like, oh, what would I think about? Uh, yeah, to, to distract it? yourself, yeah. Uh, money. Okay, great. Makes it successful, kind of <laughs> right? So that, instead that, of thinking that's about... <laughs> yeah. Like just business, money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Try to find something positive and yeah, you know, yeah. And that's just that was what I kind yep. of went went towards. Yeah. So anytime a thought comes up about uh, you know the conflicts or what I faced or transitioning, I'll just think about money, business, how I can move forward. Um, and then there's kind of behavioral avoidance. So anything that and I, I didn't hear you actually said that you did a lot of charity work mm-hmm. on Pendleton things like that. But a lot of um, the veterans I work with and even sometimes active duty won't go on a base. You won't find them on base ever. If they see someone in uniform, they walk away because that's just hard to kind of, um, it brings back all the memories of serving. Um, Certain smells or or sounds can bring that all back. Mm -hmm. So I won't go to this area that might have these sounds that sound like 
rounds or whatever the case may be. So that would be behavioral. And then the physical reactions which show up, which can be anything from heart racing, um, hyperventilation, feeling dizzy, lightheaded to a full-on panic attack. If you're kind of faced with any thoughts, memories, or anything that sort of reminds you of whatever the trauma was. Um, And so people will work really hard to avoid anything that makes them re-experience that stuff. And then there are things like nightmares, flashbacks, things like that that we'd assess too. Yeah. Wow, intense. It's a lot. Yeah, I heard a story about uh, when a guy saw the movie Saving Private Ryan, Mm -hmm. that he had to step out of the theater because he smelled like the diesel fuel or something like that. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it's it's amazing how the mind works. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's intense. So what, what what are some of the, like let's say someone's listening, watching this podcast and they're like, wow, you know, I've always, maybe I'm afraid to say something. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, I haven't found the right person I'm connected to that I can open up to. What would be kind of your advice? And I'll open this up to both of you, but what would be your advice for if someone was out there and whether it's a veteran or Mm -hmm. someone who suffered from rape Mm -hmm. or, you know, intense car accident or any kind of experience like that where they may be thinking, God, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And maybe as they listen to this, go, maybe PTSD right. might be it. Yep. What, what would be your advice? Yeah. So, you know, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, it's really tough to want to face all this stuff because the whole, the whole way you get through PTSD uh, or the way that most people feel like they get through it is this avoidance. But if someone felt ready to kind of work on this, things were coming to a critical point in their life where it was just affecting what they were doing on a day-to-day basis. I would say start with the internet. <laughs> so it's a good thing we have that, right? And just sort of look around you. Are there psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors of any sort around you that you feel like you might be a good fit with, right? So do they have training in this? If you're a veteran and you want to look through the VA, there's certainly lots of programs there. Some people have a preference for that. Some people don't. Um, if you're a civilian, you can go through your insurance. You can Google psychology today and start looking for someone that you might want to even just have a consultation with. Is this what I think it is? Is this PTSD? And if so, what would be the next steps? Do I feel ready to kind of work on this? Um, medication can can help, and so psychiatry is there for that. Um, and oftentimes there there are people who have their values where they feel like medication is, is awesome. Other people are, are not keen on medication or haven't had a good experience, but there's that option as well. But I always say there's nothing that can be too terribly harmful about setting up a consultation with someone and just sort of talking about what would I do, what would this look like, and then you're a little bit more informed on if you're willing to take that next step. Because it's tough, and, and most of the treatments take several months where you're talking about this stuff over and over again, and it can be really tough for people. And it's really successful. Most people, there's, I can't remember the percentages, but for the, the therapies that I'm trained in for trauma-focused treatment, there's like an 85% sort of reduction um, down to baseline with these symptoms that we're talking about. So if people are able to get in there and get treatment, they tend to find that it's pretty helpful for them. PTSD doesn't just go away. There's not like a cure for it. You don't get done and get like a little check on your chart saying no more PTSD, but you might be able to live a life that's a little bit more like what you imagined, where you don't have to avoid the day-to-day stuff. You don't have to avoid people, places, or things that remind you of trauma. Um, You might still have panic attacks, but maybe they're not happening daily or multiple times a day. So it can be really effective. Um, But I think that the first thing I always let people know is do some research. Look at, you know, if you go to a a therapist directory, there are pictures, there are profiles, there are training and background. There are lots of therapists who are veterans themselves. Maybe that makes someone feel more comfortable if you're a veteran looking for treatment. So you can kind of um, look and find someone that you feel like you might connect with and then take that first step. 
yeah. and see how things go. I like how you started the whole thing with if you're ready. Yeah. Right? To me, if, if I'm going through something, like, I always, it raises a red flag if someone's like, go here, go do that. <laughs> Pay this right. money and see this mm-hmm. person and mm-hmm. do, like, the one size fits all right now. Yep. So I think that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that, of, yeah. of going online and just seeing, like, hey, what are the options out there? Mm-hmm. See what this process is like yep. and get yourself prepared for mm-hmm. whether you want to, you know, seek help or talk exactly. about it or get there. So I think that's yeah. very, uh, I think that's wise advice. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Ryan? What would what would you, what would you be your advice, and maybe specifically for for veterans coming back? And how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think my perspective is is um, I've been through it all, right? Um, yeah. You know, my diagnosis came um, whether I liked it or not uh, in two thousand and eight when it was still uh, significantly stigmatized. I was still on active duty. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gone through just about everything there is, right? Um, I was in therapy for 10 years on and off um, to include, you know, talk therapy. I found um, hypnotherapy to be incredibly effective. Um, wow. But going back to like what you said, you have to be ready, um, you, you know, because I wasn't, right? Um, I went at the behest uh, of a of a loved one that was more or less forcing me to go. We're no longer um, in a relationship, but um, I didn't. I didn't let it all out right mm-hmm. initially. Um, I wanted to. I still had the ego. I still had the. You know, this is not me. This is not. I'm stronger than this. This is a weakness. This is not me. So my recovery, or uh, uh, recovery is not the right term, but uh, what I found term. to work yeah. was, um, you know, because you do deal with it on and off all the time. Um, up and I'd gone all the way through just about every one of the medications. Nothing worked for me. I did not like the side effects at all. Um, you know, I did the, the you know I was seeing a therapist I think twice a week at the at the uh, most um, frequent, and then it was down to biweekly. And I found that gardening helped me immensely. Um, you know, I had this stupid little salsa garden at my house in North Escondido and that's you know, cool it was, yeah it was something I you know I grew up and I'm from Minnesota originally we always had a garden and um, you know it was just kind of I tripped over it right um, as an idea and you know I learned from that that veterans guys gals that have done something so selfless for so long have to have something to take care of other than themselves because wow. we won't take care of ourselves first. It, it's almost impossible to convince one of us to, to put ourselves first. It's always something else, the greater good, right? Um, so those plants were what I was taking care of because they were incapable of taking care of themselves. I've since transitioned to birds. I've got this, uh, I've got a place in Hidden Meadows and there's a, there's a lot of doves and a lot of quail and songbirds and I, feed them I go through like 300 pounds of bird seed a month wow um, and that's just that's my thing when I'm when I'm starting to ask when things are escalating for me you know I'll just walk out in the backyard a cup of coffee and just watch these stupid birds do whatever it is they're going to do right um, that was my thing there is my thing now um, what else would I do that's super interesting yeah it's uh, and I would even spin that into you know you've got these guys that um, and gals that 
you know, maybe their skill set isn't quite as transferable into this into the civilian world. Um, you know, specifically infantry. You know, whatever other uh, military occupational specialties isn't something you're going to find. You know, a lot of opportunity in. Um, you know, protecting schools. You know, you you find a service member that's out and struggling, and you offer them a position as an armed guard at a school um, with a livable wage. You will not find anybody better. That that service member will die for those kids. Right. I mean, without even thinking about it. You know, should there be an active shooter situation or right. something like that. So, right. Um, it's about finding something to take care of that is not you. Right. How interesting. And, it, and it's something that in the other shows we've done with military, the the feeling that, you know, you mentioned your ego and kind of the tough guy thing. Right. right? But mm-hmm. it's like you're trained to be that way. You're yeah. trained mm-hmm. to be a beast, right? Like you're trained to be under the most critical situations, able to take someone's life if need be for the mission, right? And I mean, that's about as intense as it gets. Mm-hmm. And then it's a complete U-turn to turn around and say, hey, I'm gonna, I, I need to talk to someone about these things I'm struggling with and mm-hmm. you know, issues I'm having, yeah. because especially as men too, yeah. just stereotypically, right? It, yeah. it may, especially when you're still active duty, you know what I mean? There's that feeling of maybe right. somebody being like, hey, suck it up. Well, that career retention, you know, yeah. um, you know, guys are, you know, 10, 12, 13 years in or less, you know, and their intent is to is to retire with, you know, the pension and, and the benefits that go with that, you know, and there's disqualifiers in there, you know, yeah. there's things I guarantee you 85 percent, maybe maybe less of service members that have combat experiences hide symptoms, hide things, hide behavior. Um, in order to stay in, right? Because you go, you know, we, if you go see the psychiatrist in the in the military, the Navy, or the Air Force, the Army, or the Marine Corps, um, you know, we call it going to see the wizard, mm-hmm. and it's front. Well, it's not frowned upon really anymore. It's not even really stigmatized much anymore. But there are, you know, I'm in, I talk to a lot of my friends that are still active. They're starting to retire. Have well, they started to retire about last year. Right, um, and their sense getting out, and you know, there's injuries, physical injuries they'll hide. Um, you know, it's all about getting to the end. And when it comes, you know, the toll that that takes in and of itself prior to the transition, and then, you know, f- folks that need, like you said, you got to be ready. You got to, you got to, for the treatment to be effective, whatever it is, right you have to be at a position of where, and at least for me, it was, I can't do this anymore. I refuse to live like this. Um, you know, I, I don't think I was ever suicidal. I don't right. ever recall having those feelings. Um, but the debilitating exhaustion, there's got to be a better way. So my path was I reached out to Military One Source, um, which I'm not sure is still a thing. Mm-hmm. It is? Yes. Okay. Um, and that's a way not to necessarily circumvent, uh, you know, naval medicine because that was my, you know, I was a Marine. Um, but it, you go outside of the purview of the scrutiny that may end your career prematurely. 
right? Got because it. Mm -hmm. not a lot of you know coming yes. up this the, the Iraq and Afghan enduring freedom, Iraqi freedom, you know whatever we're calling it, um, you know, you, you, this is new. Right? We're really we're, we finally we've spent the last 10, 12 years really digging into this with an open mind, and you know, uh, you know, Dr. Anderson can probably speak to that better than I can. But what I can say is. You know, the guys and gals that are still active or have retired recently, I'd say almost all of them are hiding something in order to stick around. And then, you know, right. but like I said, you hit that bottom. And I called Military One Source. I found a counselor in Valley Center. She was great. Um, so it's Military One Source. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's kind of, it's something outside of the actual military branch where if you went to ask someone for help or something within that maybe gets reflected on your record or everyone knows about it where maybe there's some outside sources you can it's go to. It's still connected to, to the DOD. Um, that's who funds it, right? Right, um, And it is limited. I think at the time I was getting 12 sessions every quarter or maybe semi-annually yeah, or, yeah. or annual or something. And then it was out of pocket after that. Right. But it, it didn't really matter. A little more confidential, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah you're, you're going to get a civilian provider, um, mm -hmm. somebody who most likely has, does not or has not worked uh, in healthcare for the Department of Defense or the military or whatnot. Um, you know, and I, I withheld things until I was comfortable with her and, you know, my treatment, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, took longer than it needed to because I hadn't quite hit that position of I can't mm -hmm. do this anymore. You know, I'm not sleeping. Um, you know, I'm thinking about consuming alcohol all the time, if not doing it. Right. You know, and, and we know right from wrong. It's, and that would, I would take it even a step further, and we might go down a rabbit hole, so go ahead and stop me if we need to. Th that breeds guilt because mm -hmm. you know you're doing something yep. that you shouldn't. You know it's, it's a temporary fix and you're just kicking the can down so the you're road. Feeling even worse about so yourself. you wake up, right? And you're, you know, you're hungover or, or, you know, you're, you're cloudy. And now you're thinking about your conduct and your, your, you know, your self, um, scrutiny is far more powerful than anybody yeah. else's. Yeah. And that's what, it's an endless cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And until you kind of slap the table and say, no mas, I'm done. Um, you know, I, I quit drinking for a year, yeah. um, did the gardening thing. You know, exercise helps immensely, mm -hmm. uh, which is something I, you know, don't necessarily do as much as I should these days. But, um, you know, there's things to obviously out there maintain it. You know, CBD has been effective for me. Um, you know, I know the, the, the medical marijuana option is out there as well. The VA does somewhat embrace that. Um, I was after my time there. Okay. The, yeah. um, you know, I, I, my experience with the VA in San Diego has been nothing short of impressive. I know in other uh, regions in the country, it's not as good. Um, but, you know, they have satellite offices, even in Escondido. You don't have to come down to La Jolla. There's Oceanside. I would imagine there's some more, something in scripts. It's, it yeah. is out of my purview. Um, but it comes down to the individual being ready and yeah. willing to, you know, one of the hardest things I did was, was uh, submit to the uh, um, uh, hypnotherapy, which, you know, the... Uh, the provider indicated or you know showed me statistics that you know for talk therapy you're on a hundred or a hundred appointments you're going to be this successful you're going to have this kind of experience you could get the same experience or the same level of relief from five or six hypnotherapy treatments 
And so I had to kind of warm up to that idea. I've only done it twice, but uh, the relief from that in contrast to talk therapy was right. Im almost impossible to measure mm -hmm. from my perspective. Yeah, yeah. That, that's an awesome story that you just shared because knowing you how I know you, you're such a straight shooter and such like a man's man, like mm -hmm. that for you to give that type of testimonial to the services that are out there and the process and opening up and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm you know, whatever, sick and tired of being sick and tired kind of mm -hmm. a thing. And so I'm willing to do all these things and step outside my comfort zone. And then to say, hey, the VA has been great. Like, you know, the results were there. Um, like, I know you don't pull punches, right? Like, if you would have had the opposite experience, you would share it. Yeah, no, very I would. Clearly. Yeah, I and you know, I like you said, Josh. I am a straight. I don't know how to lie. I don't have a filter. <laughs> I don't sugarcoat anything. Um, you know, but yeah, that was you know, I had submitted my VA claim the day after I retired. I had my response like seven weeks later. You know, where I heard of other guys and gals, you know, waiting like a year, blah, blah, mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, it was like this. And when I had my appointments, you know, for um, for that claim, you know, I did have to travel some because, you know, it's we're inundated with, with guys and gals getting out. There's only mm -hmm. so many doctors that do so many specialties, et cetera. Um, but I, I, I had nobody, nothing to complain about. And if I yeah. did, nobody would listen, you know, so... <laughs> Ingenious too, the way they like, the way they um, position the hypnotherapy to you, knowing how you think and how most military people think, mm -hmm. and saying these three to six might be worth a hundred. Uh -huh. So if you were if you were opposed to it in the beginning, thinking ah, I don't know about this foo foo mm -hmm. stuff, and then mm -hmm. you said, wait a minute, you're going to save me ten months of time. Right, I'm in. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I think the the thing that that held that held me back from it was. Uh, ignorance. I didn't know what it was going to be like. I, I've, I've been, you know, everybody graduates from high school. You got the hypnotist that comes over it, you know, and you got your overnight party or whatever it is you do, sure. right? And it's you see these people acting like, you know, chickens, and circus apes, <laughs> right? Doing whatever uh, the hypnotist told them to. They obviously, from my perspective, and they look like they are completely out of control. They are mm -hmm. not making decisions or resp they're responding to somebody else's influence, right? I'm like, is that what I'm going to be exposed to? It was anything but that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was aware of what was happening around me. Um, you know, sh I, I'm sure there's varying levels of hypnosis. You know, I didn't go, she didn't yeah. take me that deep. Um, you know, and I was really impressed with, with how it yeah. went, so I did it one more time um, and, uh, you know, and then kind of moved on to, to other things. But uh, um, unfortunately, yeah. she, is, uh, she has since moved to Arizona. She had an accident on her horse mm. and um, could no longer um, treat anybody. But, uh, yeah. Great man, that she was there for you, though. Yeah, bro. It was, and I, I, ref I probably referred her, I don't know, 20 friends um, yeah and uh family members of, of friends and that so um and never received any negative feedback so you know what's out there and is available is helpful um you know there was one other thing i wanted to uh, cover quickly and i mentioned i quit drinking for a year i went i actually went to aa and did that whole deal like let go mm -hmm. of, you know was gonna i'm gonna find out if i'm an alcoholic and what i learned was i'm not I, I, I am capable of being a binge drinker. I don't think anybody who's not in real estate can't understand that. <laughs> um, but 
I saw real, and I think what may hold some guys back is, you know, or gals too, is the alcohol is their only tool currently, mm -hmm. right? And they may not want to give that up because that's kind of working for them for now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I would encourage anybody that is considering or is that nearing that point of I can't do this anymore, um, you know, don't don't think that you absolutely have to stop drinking. Maybe take a break, go to some meetings, um, observe the people that are in those meetings absolutely struggling to get through minute by minute by minute to not consume, right? I mean, I saw right, it. Right, right. Um, I probably went to, I don't know, I was doing three meetings a week for a while and then I dropped down to two. Um, varying locations. Some of them were not just AA, they were NA as well. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different animal. Yeah. Um, well, it probably different. goes towards anything, right? It, like for you to say, some people become obsessive about a lot of different things, but if mm -hmm. they just go, well, I'm going to give up this, mm -hmm. I'm going to give up that. But if they're really not willing to go where you went, which was what's at the root of all this, what's right. the experience that I need to kind of face, deal with, right? Mm -hmm. That I'm trying to medicate or, or right. whatever it is that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so if you're not willing to get there, then you're really just kind of dealing with the easier problem, even though that may not be an easy problem to deal with. But, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll deal with this now. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, but at some point you got to get down to the core of this thing and, right. yeah. and figure it out. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So, so I love the part about the garden and the birds. Yeah. Yep. Like that. That's like very interesting to me mm -hmm. because I would think that's kind of a you could put a lot of the veterans in that bucket of selfless you know heart of service that value of of helping something that really can't really give you a whole lot back mm -hmm. but you just have that heart of service so what are there any other things like that is that something that trend goes across all the different people that have PTSD. Yeah, like yeah. Whether it's, you know, veterans or not, where if they find mm -hmm. some kind of healthy outlet or something to invest themselves into. Yes, right. Finding purpose. And that's true for, for people who have served and people who haven't. And what I think I might have heard, Ryan, too, is that when you're out there and you said you have, you know, your cup of coffee and you're just sort of watching what those stupid birds are doing, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of mindfulness that's going on there, too, where you're just in that moment sort of watching what's going on. Maybe that's happening when you're gardening or mm -hmm. when you were gardening. And that's a huge component with trauma-focused treatment as well, is one way to really um, adaptively and, and really healthfully get away from all of those thoughts and memories and images that pop up are to find things to focus on that are really good for you. And it might be feeding the birds, mm -hmm. it might be gardening, it might be sewing or adult coloring books. So you could pick whatever you want, right? It's going to be a little bit different for each person. And what you start to do is you start to train your mind to focus on just this one thing. And some of those trauma thoughts will sort of trickle in a little bit. They'll kind of distract you. And then you say, no, I'm, I'm listening to the birds right now, or I'm having that sip of coffee, or I'm coloring this swear word coloring book, right? And so it teaches you to start focusing on what you want to focus on versus letting your mind just come over and over again, have these intrusive thoughts, um, which starts to take effect in other parts of, of your life. So for you, it started with business and, mm -hmm. and growing what you've done with your business, which probably from my very limited understanding of real estate, is very intense, it's very, things move fast, right? So it keeps your mind kind of occupied. Mm. But in those slower moments, we need things too. So you'll see a lot of people with, with trauma finding these very half, 
fast-paced, high-intensity jobs or outlets. But we can't run at 100 percent, 24 hours a day. And and your mind knows that. Our minds know that. And so the moments before bed or when we're first waking up, these creep in. And so learning how to really practice this mindfulness and being present is a is a training tool. Um, and we actually, not myself, but people out there who do brain scans can see that, again, you're going to change the the way that your neurons talk to one another, the different brain cells kind of communicate as you practice mindfulness. And people tend to find that what used to be five minutes of feeding the birds before I couldn't do it anymore is now an hour after day-to-day practice. So yeah, finding whatever it is that might be interesting for you or works for you in terms of what you want to focus on, those are really, really helpful. And much like what what you're saying, Ryan, in terms of finding something else to kind of care for, Mm -hmm. again, I I would see that across, you know, civilian and and veteran populations, um, and then I really push for people to to engage in the self care um, as well, whether they like it or not, mm. um, because we do have a tendency to kind of help other people around us, and that feels really good. But you might let yourself kind of deteriorate, and so um, maybe the birds are helping them, but it's a moment for you too. Or you know, I might really tend to these plants, but I'm going to find something that really recharges me too. Um, so kind of finding a balance there, I think, can be helpful. And for most of the therapies that are out there, you're going to see this component woven into that treatment in some way or another. But if you know people are listening now and they're not quite ready for treatment, and they're thinking, what could I do? Find something that you really enjoy that feels helpful, that feels good as you're doing it and see if you can spend five minutes a day focused on that and after a few weeks you might try 10 minutes a day until you get to a place where you have a little bit of peace while you're doing whatever it is that you've chosen per day and that might just be kind of your your safe spot and your, your kind of zone to go to to get a little relief from what's going on right yeah no, that makes a lot of sense for all the, all the people that you treat mm-hmm. um do the majority of them go through the, I mean, you, I, you said there's no finish line, right? There's yeah. no like, okay, cool, you're cured. Yeah. Right? It's something that's more, how do I effectively and health yeah. healthily mm-hmm. get through this and, right. and find ways to cope and, mm-hmm. and become the best me I can be. Yep. How many people, like, how many people go through the whole process with you? How many yeah. people do you see once and it's just too much for them and yep. they're out? Like, is there a big kind of fallout? You know, and I think part of this is, you know, I've been doing it for almost 12 years now. Um, so if you'd asked me that 12 years ago, I would say, oh, it's like 50-50. Right. But I've, I've learned. <laughs> um, and I think one of the pieces that is, is really important is um, starting with, are you ready? So if someone comes to me and they're like, you know, my wife is making me do this. She said it's divorce or this. Um, okay, well, we can try, right? But it doesn't right. feel like this is going to be successful versus the person who's kind of ready to, to work, right? And if someone's not quite ready, we can use strategies and, and coping skills to kind of get them to that place, to move them in that direction, to start feeling ready. And I think that's an important piece too. And, and you know, I'm uh, pretty, as far as therapists go, I'm also pretty straightforward. I'm not the therapist who um, might be hugging you after every session, that sort of thing. And so when people come in, I let them know, like, this is hard work. This is going to be one of the hardest things that you've done. Sometimes people tell me this is harder than the trauma itself. Um, so if you're not ready for that and ready for it to potentially even get worse before it gets better, let's work on some coping skills. Let's find you some AA or NA meetings to kind of get you through this and then come back to me when you're ready. So I think now if people are ready and, and we kind of build that relationship and, and we kind of assess that readiness, um, I, I can get people through to the end, right? And it's not just me. That's I'm not doing something special. This is for any therapist who's who's worked extensively with with 
patients with trauma. Um, if they're not ready, you can tell that pretty quickly. And if they can't get ready, there's no point in trying. Because then what happens is they get halfway through. They say, this is awful. Kelly's a quack. <laughs> Therapy doesn't work. And then they never want to come back versus, you know, um, saying, you know, it doesn't seem like you're ready. Let's try to get you there. Or if you're not quite ready, come back when you are. Um, so that you're not left with this bad taste in your mouth of right. really bad therapy that you then generalize to everyone else. Yeah. Um, so if people can stick through it and they have a good relationship with their therapist, um, you know, most of my clients will get through that. Um, most of, you know, I have a lot of colleagues who do the same work and they'll say the same thing. Um, but I do think that fit is is crucial. And so going back to people who are looking for that first step, that's why I started the Internet. Do some some light, you know stocking of various um, therapists do a consultation call or video chat if they offer one if you can't get yourself into the office and if you feel like okay I can talk to this person then you're ready for that next step to see if you can even go through because it's tough it's really tough stuff yeah I think especially for um, you know I I know I consider myself a pretty driven person Mm -hmm. I I know him personally and he's very driven yeah we just got to know each other but like in the fact that when you it almost gave me anxiety when you said, try five minutes this week and then <laughs> right. 10 minutes, two weeks from now, oh, because yeah. I'm just that guy that's like, no, no, I want it now. Mm-hmm. Like, right. So mm-hmm. I'll do 50 minutes today. <laughs> yep. and, uh, you know what I mean? But Set that, yourself up for failure. I'm, I'm also the guy that goes to like the fitness place and I'm like, look, man, I want you to push me. I don't care if I'm throwing up and then I'm not going back. I don't go yes. back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Three days later yeah. when I can barely sit down because yeah. my legs hurt so bad. Right? Exactly. So yep. there's, right, there's, I think your approach is, You've learned it over time. Yep, 100%. But it's, it's I can see that being much more effective. Yep. Like, are you doing yep. this for you? Are, yeah. are you ready to be vulnerable? Exactly. Are you ready to be honest? Mm-hmm. Right? Are you ready to, like, kind of check yourself at the door and let mm-hmm. me help you get through this? Exactly. You know what I mean? If you yep. want to eat the whole elephant today, but mm-hmm. we're going to eat it one bite at a time. Type right. Thing. Let right. me ask exactly. you this, Dr. Anderson. So yeah. my experience was I got drug kicking and screaming to mm-hmm. therapy the first time. And initially mm-hmm. it was it was with my ex-wife, mm-hmm. uh, her idea. Yeah. And I didn't want to go, but I went. Yep. By the third uh, session, mm-hmm. she had quit and I, w- and I kept going okay. because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think my hesitation was tied to ego, mm-hmm. not wanting to admit yeah um waste of time this isn't going to work this is you know witch Mm -hmm. doctoring yep um but i think do you notice or it may not even be a metric that you track but uh similar outcomes where somebody comes at the behest or force of somebody Mm -hmm. else and they're standoffish or they don't want to participate initially Mm -hmm. but by the third or fourth session there's commitment and um improvement yeah and I think that's you know it's it's not something that I I track per se but just sort of pulling up thoughts around that I think it's really individualized Um, so you know usually by the third session if they're still kicking and screaming I I I, I put them on therapy vacation Um, you know you're not here you're not taking much from this right but I think Oftentimes, and if, if you're working with someone that you're comfortable with, there might be just a little bit, right? So, okay, you're not ready to work on your trauma, but we have 10 other things that mm-hmm. we can kind of start working on. Maybe it's communication with your, your partner, right? So let's work on that. Maybe that's easier. Get, get the old wife off your back, right? Or maybe it's, you know, you're not sleeping well. Okay, let's focus on that. Get you, get you some sleep hygiene skills. 
And then maybe once a client starts trusting in that, that there are other things that we can focus on and that these things help. It's not all witch doctoring. Right. I'm not going to shove pills down your throat. Mm. Um, I don't even do that. So go somewhere else for that. Right. Then there's a little bit of trust. Right. Which in order to become vulnerable enough to do work for trauma, but really any sort of therapy work, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. And it's, not, you know, people come into my office the first time that they meet them and I ask them to tell me the hardest things they've ever experienced. It's right. really, really hard to do. And mm, not everyone can do that in the first session or the third. But if you're willing to kind of work through it, then, yeah, it's just that willingness to open up and make yourself vulnerable um, and feel like you're in a, a safe enough spot to do that. Um, so, yeah, it can if people can get to that spot and sort of recognize I trust this person. I think they have the credentials and, and the personality to kind of fit what I need. So I'm willing to let that wall down just a bit. But there are people who are there in session 10 where we're both banging our head against mm -hmm. the wall because they're just not ready. Um, and yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I view it as my duty to, to kind of say, you're not ready. This is this is not mm -hmm. helpful for anyone. So sure. let's come back at another point and I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. What, are there like a, if you had to give like a top three to five different symptoms that you see in someone that's suffering from PTSD, mm -hmm. is that is that a fair question? I know it's it, each individual is different, yeah, but like yeah. maybe a group of ones where of different symptoms that. Yep. Yeah. So I would say, you know, um, really, I mean, it comes down to avoidance. It's just what that looks like in someone's life. Um, so usually if I'm working with someone and I use that word avoidance so you've just been doing this to avoid they're like oh okay yeah that's right um, and it can look like a lot of different things it can be the the person who doesn't stop working ever they're always at the office you know they they can't settle down sleep is almost always a piece of this okay. whether mm -hmm. that's because the anxiety um, leading up to trying to come down and slow down or the nightmares that can be kind of happening but really poor sleep and then I would say substance abuse is pretty high up in there I would okay. I would say that that's kind of coming up there and I'll, I'll, I'll actually I'm going to step back a bit and say not just substance abuse but maybe any sort of addiction um, so certainly the substances right but then food, um, food yep food mm. um, promiscuity mm. um, you know phone I can never be without my phone because it's such a 24-hour feed of distraction mm. right um, so it's you know, that's that's a, a big piece as well. But so any sort of uh, addiction kind of be or addictive like behavior, I would say, is kind of a clue that you're avoiding something. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. And I know you were like, yep. Like, oh, yeah, the sleep. It was yeah, like, there's a lot oh, of it. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, sleep, I think, is probably the most important because yeah. it or, you know, it's the vicious cycle. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're ab abusing anything. Mm hmm. Probably not food. I mean, you can probably sleep okay if you're, you know, pounding 10,000 calories a day <laughs> when you need like 1,800 or whatever. But, um, you know, for me, it, the sleep is huge, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, the hypervigilance, the constant, mm -hmm. the, the constant thinking about something or, or conditioned myself to the point where I, it's a distraction. Okay. Phones, I think, phones, mm -hmm. tablets, mm -hmm. all that interface and just the stimulation right. know, yeah. as a dopamine yeah. dump and... Mm -hmm. You end up, you know, um, I think we're far more exhausted and we're more we're far busier than we've ever been as a society yeah. because of these things. And you yeah. also chose a profession that's 24-7. Right. The hell was I thinking? Right. You know, I mean, and like, probably a big part of why you're a top performer and yeah. you're very good at what mm -hmm. you do and you it's do a lot of business. Constant like, work, 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 distraction. I, yeah, I, I haven't mm -hmm. thought about it like that. Um, my thing, I can tell, I call it when the darkness is, is setting in. Um, I start to isolate mm -hmm. 
video games. Um, you know, I'm aware of the substances, so I, yeah. I steer yeah. you know a, a, away from that. Um, I won't. You know, my my one hobby, as you're aware, is golf. Right? Yeah. You know, we play Which together. Which can be obsessive in and of itself, right? Because you're never gonna master it. You're never exactly. Gonna get it's to it's the pursuit be. of perfection with mm -hmm. the knowledge you will never get there. <laughs> Right. This I mean, is why what, I don't golf. What bigger hamster wheel <laughs> is there? You know, um, you know, not playing golf. I, I I love golf, right? But if yeah. I'm not interested in playing it, okay, that's kind of a, a red flag in the back yeah, of my mind. Or if I'm avoiding um, social engagements, right. um, I find that if I don't get my ass up and going by six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. I'll be in pajama pants until two. Yeah. Right. You know, it's. You know, filling your schedule purposely, you know, mm -hmm. um, distracting yourself yeah. and, um, you know, the sleep thing. But it's like I said, it's a vicious cycle. If you're not getting good sleep, it's it's almost impossible to, to maintain, Yeah. right? And if you're, if you're running at 65%, you know, energy all the time, but you're yeah. in a dynamic, you know, whether it's an industry or a job or you got family, yeah. you know, um, you, you're just, you're, it, you're set up to fail, yeah. you know. And um, just yesterday, I went and spent more money on a bed than I ever thought possible <laughs> um, with all the, you know, adjustments and all that because I can't yeah. do it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I'm getting older. Yeah. Um, I've lived a lot of life in the last 20 years, and I I'm tired. I told my wife that I'm like, look, honey, I, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and I don't know how to um, not be tired i don't know do yeah. i need to take a year off do i Dave, need to i've been redlining for yeah, and that's for the so thing long. if you're redlining for so long it's a great term josh thanks for saying that you know you, you just you're going to flame out eventually you're going to run out of gas right. it's going to exhibit itself in a number of different different um areas and you know i find that you know the longer i'm in my career this does get easier right, right. because you know, i'm five six years in Right. I'm almost 200 transactions. Yeah, you have a book of business. It's like, like the referral you, stuff starts right, to happen. You don't yeah. have to. I mean, when there's a transaction going on, obviously there's 197% of my effort going into that. But yeah. the first couple of years of the business, it was always 85% uh, of the effort was going to grow it, mm -hmm. to grow the business, to gain the clients, to get the you know yeah. the book of business, that kind of thing. Now it doesn't quite take that as much time you know to advertise and i do very little of that anymore it's predominantly yeah. referral um but i have more time which mm -hmm. means i have more time to uh isolate more time to you know procrastinate mm -hmm. huge i am in the top one percent of successful procrastinators on the planet <laughs> um but that's you know you, yeah, yeah it's it's a constant it's 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 a constant battle uh maybe not a battle but it's you have to be aware yeah, you that's what I was going to say. Coming. To me, like what I pick up from what you just shared is that you have a great awareness for mm -hmm. who you are and which probably came from a lot of your hypnotherapy and your talk therapy and all those things that you were open to doing. Right. So if I was listening to this or watching this, I would see, wow, like you found an outlet that was healthy. You have enough checks to be able to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe now I'm, it's getting into that gray mm -hmm. zone of I need to correct, right? Like mm -hmm. I need to get the rudder back in the water and mm -hmm. get going on the right track and getting all that treatment and talking to people and being open to that and the mm -hmm. birds and the garden mm -hmm. and all that stuff has kept you to where like, if anything's obsessive, it's your work, right? Which, it, you know, is better than the bottle or mm -hmm. better than, you know what I mean? A lot of other things. And even then you're able to say, okay, wow, like am I, 
like you said, going dark, right? You're, you have this check where, like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm kind of going to this space. Yeah, it's coming on. You know yep. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's that's amazing. I think that's a success story that anybody that would be struggling yeah. with something like this mm-hmm. would say, wow. Yeah, it took 10 years, 12 years or whatever, but, like, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Which is kind of the purpose of this whole conversation, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like yes. if there's yeah. one person out there that's right. listening or watching and they go, man, I'm going to look on the internet and check mm-hmm. this out. Mm-hmm. Or right. someone who has looked on the internet but hasn't pulled the trigger on going to talk to yeah. somebody, yeah. that they're going to go do that, then our effort here is is worthwhile, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And you really started hitting on something that we haven't talked about, which is the probably I would say it's more the rule than the exception is people with PTSD are going to experience depression. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, no, no. Start, it, it goes together. Yeah, PTSD, depression, yeah. anxiety. Mm-hmm. It, it's, yep. it's a package deal. A hundred percent. And I think that's tough too. And mm-hmm. it's so great that you've started to look, find those red flags for when that, that darkness is creeping in. But if you think about kind of what PTSD looks like in this, you know, the word that I've said over and over again is avoidance and you, your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And suddenly I can't go, you know, to the grocery store because I can't be in crowds or I can't be with my kids at the soccer game because they or the track meet because they do mm-hmm. the guns that fire or, you oh, know, no. I was in a car accident at this intersection, so I can't go to this part of town anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's hard when your world is so small that it feels like you're running on 65% every day. You can't sleep, um, you know, and then everything makes you think about this trauma unless you avoid it. And it starts to get really dark really quickly. And that goes back to what you mentioned, Josh, at the beginning with the suicidality, right? With If there's all this going on, you're depressed, you're anxious. We didn't talk about irritability, but that would be another one on my top mm-hmm. five of PTSD symptoms. You're irritable. Pe- people mm-hmm. around you are feeling upset by your behaviors. And it kind of starts, you start to ask the question, what what is all this for? And so we right. see that suicide, suicidality kind of start creeping in around the edges as you're dealing with this for longer periods of time, yeah. which is also really treatable. If you, you know, if you are noticing thoughts of wanting to be dead or even thoughts of wanting to act on suicide, there are treatments out there that can help you get through that and find some hope. Um, it's hard, but it's there there too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. I, I wanted to ask a question that'll kind of lead to something else, but what about um, like group therapy? Is that a big part of what you do or is that yeah. good or bad? Cause I know it's a very personal mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like it's, whether it's a, a rape victim or a mm-hmm. veteran or something like that, like kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess assumed in that, that yeah. environment is the fact that these people are yeah. all gonna be open to sharing them their yeah. stories with other people. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's kind of some weirdness there, but like is, yeah. is group therapy, is finding common bonds mm-hmm. or saying, hey, I'm not the only one and sharing mm-hmm. in those things. Is that something that you do yeah. or you set up? Yeah, yeah. Certainly um, we, we do some groups, not for trauma focused um, specifically, but groups can be really helpful for a number of things. Um, and this goes back to kind of the, the prior question of are you comfortable in a group? Would you be willing to be vulnerable? And so thinking of trauma-focused groups specifically, oftentimes you'll kind of see one of two things, which is either it's all um, one gender or the, the gender you identify with most. most. So it might be um, kind of sexual assault victims and car accidents and combat trauma, um, but all women or um, okay. people who identify as women, and then maybe a group for men or the same trauma and it's sort of um, mixed genders Um, So you might have all combat trauma and you'd see um, anyone who's male, female or otherwise kind of in that group. Um, And yeah, it can be really helpful. So, you know, when I did group therapy in the VA, um, predominantly men, 
predominantly older than me when I was in my training, um, and all people who had served, um, and even more specific than that, potentially serving in combat zones. And I was none of those things. And so while I came in with this knowledge, it was really helpful to have a group of people. And even when I worked with, with all women, right, even if there were women who were even closer to my age, they still didn't have that component. And so having other people say, I experienced that too, or I feel exactly the same way, because I have all of this stuff that I, I know works in treatment, but I haven't walked there. So it adds a really nice component, I think, to um, to things that, you know, your clinician can't possibly have experienced everything. And even if it is, let's say it's a, a veteran clinician working with a group of veterans, they might not have been deployed or been in combat. Right. So having that camaraderie can be really, really effective. You just have to be sure that you're able to share. So it's, it's sort of like what you were mentioning, Ryan, with um, it's not going to work if I'm not going to if I'm going to keep hiding things, mm-hmm. right? And if I don't feel comfortable enough to talk about these things because I'm worried about what others in the group might do or say, then a group probably isn't going to be best for you. But there's lots of benefits. And then the other pieces of the group that are really helpful is you start to form bonds, relationships with these other people when you've been really isolated. Um, you know you're not right. alone. That idea, I'm crazy, mm-hmm. something's wrong with me, starts to get sort of washed away because, well, six other people in this room feel exactly the same way right. um, and then you you feel less alone and so it can really help in that regard too yeah it kind of puts context to a lot of the the theory too yeah. right so if you're yeah. like hey you need to come up with a hobby but then he shares that he does the gardening and the mm-hmm. birds then I'm like wow that's cool exactly that's what it looks yeah. like right mm-hmm. and it's also like if I'm you know going through and I'm struggling with being open and I see a guy who's you know like Ryan and he mm-hmm. says he does it's like wow I mean if Ryan can mm-hmm. garden Right, you know, right, I'm like, exactly. You, know, it's, you shouldn't worry about that stuff, but that's but we all do part as humans. of what people do, right? Yep. People care about what other yep. people think and how they look mm-hmm. and all those things. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and a couple of things that have um, that I wanted to add was yeah. uh, I think it's incredibly important that, um, you know, if you're a family member, specifically a spouse and kids of age, to understand kind of um, maybe there's something, you know, daddy or mommy struggle with you know mm-hmm. specifically in my house um you know i have three little girls 16 about to be 13 and six right mm-hmm. and based on my um clinical research uh wink wink women <laughs> or the female the fairer gender uh their level of enjoyment is measured purely on the amount of noise that is being you know thrown out the screaming the yelling the laughing <laughs> the blah, 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 whatever um but the the you know and the one of the triggers for me is you know very loud on um noise that i'm not prepared for you know the kids will do that that you know like a like I a broom know. like a broomstick falling on tile floor like you get that snap real loud right like, it makes you irritated boom i'm off like i'm i'm yeah. i'm on edge so you know um and I think my wife struggles to understand it completely, and I haven't done a great job of, of explaining it to her, right? Um, but I think maybe um, a conversation or at least, you know, a, a group understanding of, you mm-hmm. know, when there is those loud noise, you know. And, right. and it's not, for me, it's not as bad as it used to be. You know, like, you know, some guys and gals struggle with the fireworks at the 4th of July mm-hmm. or, you know, right. but, you know, that's a scheduled right event you know it's going to happen every year it takes me a day or two to mentally prepare for that and i'm fine Mm -hmm. you know um but i think you know having a a, an understanding at home of you know what the service member or the individual the victim whatever you want to refer them to them as 
is what they're really dealing with. How you right. know, and that it's not voluntary, right? There's, it's not like we choose to do this. It's, right. uh, you know, it's anything but. Um, right. So I, I wanted to make that point for anybody uh, listening, you know, um, that is a spouse or yeah. is somebody who. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is that I've found a lot of value in is. Um, for other folks, other guys, specifically in my circle, um, you know, we've had a round table, we call it, mm-hmm. two of them, and it's at my house. Um, guys that I've served with going back to 2000, 2001, some of them are still active, some of them are not, um, but based on my willingness to share openly uh, within that circle has been positive from the perspective of they'll come to me. Mm-hmm. But it'll be, they'll skirt, right? Mm-hmm. They start asking maybe these kind of leading questions. I know what they're up to now. Um, but, you know, just engage in the conversation and say, hey, look, you know, there are so many more people that are still kind of hiding this issue, right? And su- suffering unnecessarily. And, you know, the round tables we've had, it's just open. It's non judgmental there's not anybody that's a professional there it's just right. hey this is what works for me i've shared the gardening thing I, you know they've seen the birds um you know and just talk about hey this is what i'm experiencing you know f- share as much as you want share as much is very 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 informal right right um and there's usually a 20 year old bottle of scotch involved to get things loosened up right <laughs> you know but it's it, it's it's good and there's you know I retired at 16 years under the temporary early retirement authority. Most of my um, generation, if you will, stayed to 20. So I mentioned earlier I've been out for five years. These guys are retiring now or sticking around. But um, I would say, you know, to anybody out there that's done the work or is is going through it currently and had success, don't be afraid to share that. Yeah, share that love you with know. some of your mm-hmm. some Yeah, of it's, it's a different that, world yeah. now. Um, it's a different society. It's, you know, why as a selfless group of people that has been conditioned to be so selfless, why not throw that out there? There, You know, you might get some pushback. You've still got, mm-hmm. you know, some of the older generations that view it as, you know, weakness or whatever, you know, sign a stigma to it. The reality is everybody's, if you don't make a change, right, if you don't help somebody else make a change, no, it's not going to get any better. And what, right. what good is your experience if you can't share it with somebody else and maybe help them? Right. right. You know what I mean? I, I really like what you said about the, uh, about family members and people around you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and being honest and, and letting them know, hey, these might be triggers for me. Um, because any like whether it's a veteran that you know the broom hitting the tile or it's mm-hmm. someone who maybe you know was a rape victim and the person grabbed them or touched them right. in a certain way or called them something sure. or it was around this location and mm-hmm. for them to say hey listen just uh, yeah. you know don't touch me here right like that just right. you know what I mean like mm-hmm. giving people because sometimes people don't know right? right so if you yeah. help the people around you to help you with your own happiness mm-hmm. and your own therapy and, mm-hmm. and success. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. Yeah, you know, because people just don't know. I, I mean, right. I'm in that yeah. boat, and right? it's impossible to articulate unless you if you haven't experienced it. I've tried. I don't know how many times. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of just like this is how it is, and it's just the way it's going to be, and you know, we do the best of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask when I said it was going to lead to the question about group therapy. Was I imagine you get a ton of enjoyment. Um, 
and reward intrinsically for the work that you do with, and you jumped right into it with, you know, other servicemen and mm. women. Like I know you do a ton of charity on base and you have golf tournaments and just, and you could do that anywhere with any other group, right? Mm -hmm. But like you're drawn to that. And I imagine a big part of that is giving back. It is, it's, you know, I'm um, far more successful financially than I ever thought I would be. Um, and that's where I feel like my skill set would have the most positive impact. Um, you know, I, I could in involve myself in other um, charity opportunities, but I don't feel like I would be quite as effective in, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, sexual assault victims. I've never mm -hmm. experienced that. I don't know what that's like. Uh, I, I would feel um, uh, fake trying to. Mm -hmm. You know, do that. Right, Obviously, I right. mean, you know, I've cut checks to other, you know, op opportunities and that. But as far as my physical involvement, um, my my voice, whatever, it, however, however it is, I can help because having been through that and right. knowing just the pure volume of service members out there, past and present, that are struggling with one thing or another, I can help with that, and I can. I can make recommendations or I can, yeah. you know, share experiences or be like, you know, and openly, you know, I, if I don't care what anybody thinks of me, I really don't. Right. Um, and, but if I can help somebody, you know, through an experience, through a process, Hey, you know, where do you live? You know, what's close to you? Yeah. Uh, what are you interested in? What is something that you would never think of mm -hmm. to do? You know, and they, that was gardening. You know what I mean? Like that was like yeah. so random and so yeah. unexpected. All I really wanted to do was make homemade salsa. You know what I mean? Uh, and the the positive, you know, uh, yeah. emotional, spiritual, and and uh, mental uh, payoff was uh, yeah. was unexpected. I see it though. I've, I'm landscaping is super therapeutic for me. Mm -hmm. I'll just go out in the backyard. Sweet, I got a backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can. My plans. wife will come out and she'll be like, "Are you just?" And I'll just stare. Yeah, because yeah, I'm yeah. almost thinking like, what would go here? What right. would go there? I want mm -hmm. a tall one here. I want a short one here. I want to make sure enough colors there, but I don't want to go over the top red. I want to yes. mix it. Like, I get kind of yes. weird and neurotic about it, but mm -hmm. I could stand there and stare at it with a cup of coffee in the morning mm -hmm. on the weekend for like a half hour, forty five yeah. minutes, and kind of like what you said, it's just mm -hmm. that process of being present yeah. and not being in work or mm -hmm. anything else. And it feels good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's amazing. Well, I really appreciate you guys being here. I think anybody listening to this or watching this is going to get a ton out of it. And, you know, if someone out there is, is struggling and wondering, hey, why am I not getting a ton of sleep? And mm -hmm. they maybe had a traumatic experience, whether they're a veteran or a victim of something else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if one person reaches out or kind of takes that next step towards getting yeah. better, yeah. then we win by being here. So, yeah. Well, thanks for having us, Josh. Yeah. Thank, really you. thank you so it. much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks. All right, guys. Sure. Thanks.